We heard a moment or two ago from the gospel how when Jesus healed the man, Jesus said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. That started there. It went to Pentecost, as Pastor Sean read a few moments ago, where Peter, right after Jesus left the earth, spoke about Jesus. And 3,000 people, the faith multiplied. People were saved. Can we think about all those things put together? You may be seated as we do. The gospel, the gospel DNA, part of it, love multiplies. The gospel, the gospel we know, it's Jesus, isn't it? The good news, that's what gospel means. And the good news is about Jesus, it is Jesus. What he did, what he came to seek and to save the lost. And DNA, well, we don't have to be a scientist to know that DNA is what makes us who we are. It's what makes us tick. And you put those two together, gospel DNA, and it begins to talk about you and me as Christian people. It talks about us individually and describes us, and it talks about us collectively as a church throughout the world, but even as a congregation. As we have been, well, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, born again, born again to a new life with a a fuller uh, new identity. That's the gospel DNA. We've been lost, but we've been found by Jesus, like a lost sheep, like a lost coin, even like a lost son or daughter, as Jesus told the story. And there and then we get that new DNA, that gospel DNA that shows itself in a love for the lost, in a love that multiplies. Even with that new DNA, however, I've got to say from the outset, there comes a battle between our old nature and the new. That old DNA still hangs around a little bit in us, and sometimes it wants us to stay put, to not let us go and be where God and Jesus would have us go and what he would have us be. So often that old nature would have us sit down and stay where we are, gratified, smiling with our face, but going no further. Like the holy huddle I mentioned last week, being with other Christians, being with other Christians. But you know, as I said there, there's time finally to break out of the huddle and to go, as Jesus said to go to look for and to save the lost, just like he did, we as the body of Christ here on earth. The second marker of this DNA, this new one that we've received, is that love multiplies. A love for the lost, yes. And what that love does is it multiplies. It's a matter of math, as Pastor Sean was talking about with the kids and probably how you overheard. We're not talking about rabbits multiplying. We're talking about Christians with the new DNA. Reminds me, 
when Susan and I were married and then it was time to have a family, Jonathan was born, our firstborn. And you know what? As parents, all of our love was focused on that young boy. 100% our love. But then, what, 18, 19 months later, our daughter Kara was born. And we thought, well, okay, now, two of them. 50% for one and 50% for the other. And then a few years later, along came number three, Dave. And so we, I say, wondered, you know, is it 33, 33, and maybe 34% love? No, that's not how it works. It's 100% for each and every child that we have. Mathematically, that doesn't make sense. But to our heart, to the reality, it certainly does. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Like when we say or when we're told by our trainer, go give them 110% of your effort. How can you do that? You can't give 110%. But it's a hyperbole, you know, exaggerated statement. But with God and his love, it's not a hyperbole. It is reality. That's the gospel DNA. God loves you 100%. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And he loves everybody 100%. That's God. He's in control of the math the addition which becomes multiplication. Sometimes, however, our old nature takes hold and we can't believe it. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes our old DNA moves us or doesn't move us and causes us to stay right where we are, understanding that there's something new, but saying, well, we better stay put. We better work to hang on to what we have received, Jesus, the gospel to take care of, to preserve it and not lose it or let it go. But that often exhibits itself, but not to be the truth. Think of it this way. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why when God's gospel comes to you and in faith is engendered, have you ever wondered why God doesn't immediately take you to heaven? I mean, he has saved you. He's rescued you. He wants to bring you to himself. Why didn't he do that right away? Because with the gospel DNA, we have work to do. Still here, the very work that Jesus gave as the very body of Christ collectively here on earth. I saw it in some ways, the dynamics exhibited when I was pastor in Pennsylvania. There we had a congregation of people who were lifers in the community, in the state. And the really whole Eastern culture was a lot like that. And people began to come in from the Midwest. And for a while that was great. Add one here, add two here, and a few more. But a lot, as the gospel DNA multiplied, well, all of a sudden that became a bit of a problem, you see. A few is okay. A few more is enough. But too many, well, too many, many, begins to arouse fear. And we begin to gravitate back to the holy huddle. How to work all that 
and a human point of view is messy. Did you hear me? When God multiplies and that love is multiplied, it gets messy. Our youngest son's a pastor. And he says exactly that. He's a pastor with a very interesting and diverse congregation. And always adding. And he said, you know what? It's messy how all of this works. And I kind of admire that. And maybe it doesn't sound right, but as a person who's more left-brained and a person who's more, as I am, more inclined to organization and having things match up and, and, and fit together neatly, part of me and my right brain wants and can accept being messy. But I hope and pray more and more that God grows that part of my DNA in Christ. You know, our church body is German in terms of its history. We're more the left brain type, like a lot has rubbed off on me. You ever look at a constitution bylaw of one of our churches? Right at the very beginning, it said, we organize so that things may be done decently and in order. And you know what? That's a Bible passage. So that things may be done decently and in order. But if that becomes too much the controlling principle, the mess isn't there. The multiplication isn't taking place. This is where the gospel DNA can become dangerous because it spells change. It spells change. And I know myself and probably you, we, we don't like change. We don't. You know what Mark Twain once said about change? It's almost gospel in another way. He said, nobody likes change except a wet baby. <laughs> Isn't that true? Well, we all have our pinch points. A wet baby, we are not. Change, we find difficult. But when it happens, love multiplies. Love multiplying is that change. A love for the lost that changes things, changes people, and it gets messy. This multiplying aspect took place, and still does within our church body. The gospel DNA works, and it has throughout our history. From 1847, when we were put together as a national church body, we're not quite across the country, between 1847 and for 100 years, we moved from 12 congregations to 5,240 congregations. That's multiplication. We moved from 4,000 people to a million and a half. First 100 years. Look, chart, it's before you. I'm looking there, you're looking here. It's interesting. 1880, the U.S. population went up by 26%. But our church body grew by 70%. Is that gospel DNA working or what? 1890, 25.5%. But we, as a church body, grew 333%. A lot of factors, no doubt. But gospel DNA, to be sure. 1921, 37%. That's God at work, working in and through our given new DNA, gospel, nature. As you look at some more stats, and as I did, and it's, they've been studied and verified, from 1910 to 1930, well, we don't see too many results. Not like that first number of years. 
Maybe it was called a pause. Uh, pause in the working of that gospel within us. But then again, it takes off in 1940, double the amount of growth in our church as opposed to the nation. And even down to 1960, doubling from 18.5% population growth to 43%. These aren't just statistics. These aren't just numbers. These are numbers that show evidence of what God is doing within people. Are there a lot of factors behind these numbers? Oh, to be sure. Sociological, all sorts of things. But gospel DNA, Jesus at work in who we are and whom we've become, absolutely. And since these 1960s or so, I've mentioned even last week, that we've been on a downslide. A downslide as a church organization nationwide. But I pray that that's only a pause and not a dead end. A pause before the gospel DNA takes over in us again in a familiar kind of way. Human circumstances, yes, but beyond. How does that show itself, the gospel DNA? Well, we can think about that and talk about that, and it certainly begins with Jesus listening to him and following him when he said, go. Go and make disciples. Not stick around and sit together in a huddle, but go and make disciples. And certainly the Holy Spirit accompanies us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit moves us to share Jesus like did Peter on Pentecost in in a grand kind of way. 3,000 people coming to faith. The Holy Spirit works in us with spiritual renewal. And certainly a part of that is to pray. To pray and let for that DNA. To pray that God lets it loose. In practical terms, I guess we can see the results of that in, in three ways that come to my mind. One is to plant new churches, new congregations. That leads to a God-given strategy, planting new churches. You know what? We may say, and part of our old DNA may say, you know what? There's enough churches. We just need more people in each church. But that has to be tested, and it has been. And guess what? More churches mean more believers, The multiplication of churches leads to more people believing in Jesus Christ and coming back to God. That's what happens. We may think it's counterproductive to make more churches, but it's not the case. I remember starting out ministry where I was assigned in Canada. And as I wet behind the ears and began to mature as a pastor, knowing some mission pastors in the area. I talked with them one time and I said, you know what, I, I really think your job as a mission pastor is easier than my job working at a, with a church that's 140 years old. You don't have any traditions to follow. You haven't got background. You haven't got expectations to meet up with because your people are new in Jesus Christ. Traditions, they abound in a church with a history, even a long history. And to a degree, I was right, although I'm not sure it was my insight, but a God-given one. Many, even too many churches don't have very many baptisms or very many adult confirmations, but they flourish in new congregations, even among us 
in our church body. That's the way it is. I remember my father-in-law, Susan's dad, was a mission exec here in Indiana a number of years ago. He helped plant new churches. It's part of our strategy. And, you know, there was an interesting part of his strategy. And that was as that new mission church grew, he had them write into their constitution and bylaws, the organizational structure, that when they reached a certain number of people in the congregation, that they plant a new congregation, a sister congregation. And you know what? I learned the wisdom of that strategy. It's been seen, it has been experienced, it's been proven time and time again. Opportunity flourishes when new churches are planted. It also reflects in multi-point parishes. Speaking about family, my great-grandfather used to be what was called a circuit rider. Back in the middle 1800s, he hopped on his horse and he went from place to place to place. Administering the sacraments, preaching, telling people the good news. But he didn't stay, he couldn't stay long in each place. But love among the people there multiplied. Not through him, but through the message of Christ. That new DNA took heart and we grew. And you know what? Multi-parish situations, they continued. When I went to Canada, it was a three-point parish. One had gone off independently, and I was called to two congregations to serve as a parish pastor. And it's true even to this day, many places in the country, one pastor can pastor two, three, and even four congregations. And it's almost becoming a trend for lots of different reasons. Part of the reasons being financial these days, where a congregation can't support a pastor by itself. So guess what? Even in one of my former uh, transitional ministries, two congregations came together to be served by one pastor. And the multiplying gets facilitated. It happens. It grows. And I suppose the third way is to say, this can happen, express itself, the gospel DNA, through big churches. Some people may say, you know, I can't relate to thousands and thousands of people, or even as many as we have here at St. Michael. But you know, with the thousands and thousands, they're made of smaller groups, of smaller congregations. And it's in those dynamics of small that things expand. And it's through groups within a larger congregation that the gospel DNA works, takes hold, and multiplies. A church full of churches. It's great. You know what? All this could sound like I'm giving numbers, and it's an issue of numbers, that we need to get more members. It may sound like a reorganization strategy for survival, that we keep things afloat and maybe even thriving. But that's not what this is about. What I'm talking about, what I hope to accomplish through these words, is what a gospel DNA is, a God-given gospel DNA. What this is about is how it has worked, how it is working, how it can continue to work even among us. Our part is to go. 
and to go and think outside the box, to think about what God has done, what he's doing, how God works, how he directs. Because it's not just a matter of history. It's a matter of his story, God's story. And keeping that in mind, marks of a flourishing church are there, a love for the lost, which then multiplies. And next week, well, I'm not going to tell you. You know how that works? Come back. (laughs) Come back and let's hear some more about what the gospel DNA does, how it's rooted and grounded. Will you? Let's go in the name of Jesus. Not just yet, but soon. Amen.